but at the beginning of the year, and it's great that you guys are with us. Um, welcome everybody who will listen on the podcast. Um, and we're at Jesus Revealed Part 6. So this is number six, and um, we're going to continue in this series of really looking at who do you say Jesus is personally. And that's out of Matthew 16, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we're pressing in for a deeper revelation of who Jesus is this year, because we believe that there's a greater measure of abundant life for every single one of us to access. And that those in our spheres of influence, your spheres of influence, my sphere of influence, right? They're longing for us to reveal the authentic Jesus. That's a core conviction that many of us have here at Grace. And we can only give away what we have, right? So you can only share with integrity the Jesus that you actually know, right? Otherwise, it's just ideas. You're just sharing an idea that you heard that some, somebody else said, hey, I believe this. And so you're like, okay, I grabbed that. I believe that. But if you haven't experienced it, there's a, there's a level that's missing, right? And so the reality is we're pressing in, looking at Jesus a fresh glance and saying, God, I want to know more of who Jesus really is. I want to experience at a deeper level the Jesus that I read about in the Gospels, right? And um, that's why that question, who you say who Jesus is, is really um, critical and significant, and this year, as I already said, is we're, we're going to be covering the Gospels of John, or Gospel of John, excuse me, and the letters of John. We're looking through his lens. What's, what's the Jesus that he portrays as he writes the Gospel, as he records the letters that he presents? What can we glean out of those afresh? Many of you have been walking with the Lord for many years. You've read the Gospel of John. You've read the letters of John. As we're going through these messages, many of the stories feel like, I already know that, I already know that, I already know that. The reality is, is it possible that there would be something that the Holy Spirit would highlight in the scriptures, because they're living, right? It's a living, breathing word. There's something there. Could he highlight something to pull it out afresh that would actually transform you in this season of your life? There's some of you in our midst where maybe you've never looked at the Gospel of John ever before. Right? I just know who's in the house. And so this is all fresh, or could be, all brand new. That's an exciting thing. Um, we've looked at the first three chapters of the Gospel of John so far this year, and we've uncovered 41 revelation statements about who Jesus is, just in those three chapters. Today we're going to start in John chapter 4. We won't finish the whole chapter, but we're going to cover a big chunk of it. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 4, verse 1. And one thing that I'll say, this isn't in my notes, but as I was worshiping this morning, what I realized is that this passage is applicable to every single believer. When I think of who Jesus is, and I think of how he, um, he has pursued every single person, if, you, if you're a, a believer in Jesus in this room today, And even if you're not, right? But if you are, he intentionally pursued you. And that's true of this passage. And so I think there's things within the passage, your story is probably radically different than the woman we're going to look at today. But the truth that Jesus pursues us because he knows what's in us 
and he wants to lead us into a greater measure of life, that's consistent for every single person, right? If you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in a really good spot because you're going to realize that Jesus is someone who's pursuing you. He's not pursuing you to condemn you. He's pursuing you to rescue you, to redeem you, to restore you to a greater measure of life. That's who Jesus is. And so that's the passage we're going to look at this morning. In verse 1, it says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, right? So that we talked about last week. Chapter 3 says he was baptizing Chapter 4 says, actually, he wasn't baptizing. His disciples were. You figure it out. Um, Verse 3, it says, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So we'll just recap that. Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee. That's the the journey that he's on. It says he had to pass through Samaria. He arrives in Sychar, which is where Jacob's well was. So you go back in the Old Testament. If you want to find out the specifics, you can do the research and you can find out where exactly that was. He's tired from his journey. Right? He's been on a journey. When you're on a journey, do you get tired? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was tired. He's sitting by the well, and it says it was about the sixth hour, which for us is about noon, right? So it's the middle of the day. The sun is pretty high. It's pretty warm. And verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So at this hour, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, right? It's curious because most people didn't draw water at noon. They drew water early in the morning or in the evening, right? When it wasn't so hot, but Jesus doesn't address that. He just tells the woman or he asks the woman, he says, can you give me a drink? And the woman says, sort of surprised, are you asking me for a drink? Because you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and you're a woman, and I'm a man. And both of us know you're not supposed to be asking me for a drink. It's part of the culture. It's part of the tradition. It's the way that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. And how it was inappropriate for a man to associate with a woman in that way. And so the woman is identifying all those things. And I think it's interesting, verse 10, Jesus answers her. And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Right? Captain Obvious. Um, And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so Jesus pushes past the woman's concerns, her questions, her suspicion, right? The conditioned response. And he says, if you knew the gift of God, God that I have, or who I am, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. He's talking on a spiritual plane. And the woman responds on a natural plane, and she says, you don't have nothing to draw water from or draw water with. The well's really deep. How could you give me water? It's not practical. Where do you get this living water? Right? And then she says, are you better than Jacob? Like Jacob's a hero in the faith, right? This is Jacob's well. I love the history of this passage. This is not just another well. This goes back to the lineage, the lineage, the lineage, right? This is an important place where God encountered his people. And she's bringing that up and saying, don't you know where you are? And Jesus replies simply, everyone who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again. So he meets her in that natural place. He says, but the water that I'm offering you is very different. Jesus gives water that becomes a spring of water welling up to eternal life within us. It's something spiritual that happens on the inside that nobody can ever take away from you. Verse 15, the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I love this. Because the woman is still on that natural plane. She's like, well, if this is true, what you're saying, and you have this water, this living water, so you say, I want it. Because then I won't be thirsty ever again. And I won't have to come back to this place to draw water. And I think like you and I, the woman is focused really on her felt needs. Right? So often we go through life and we, are, we feel needs and we're asking God to do something about it, right? And that's where I see this woman. She's hearing Jesus's words, but she's trying to take something that he's speaking on a spiritual plane and she's trying to incorporate it on a natural plane. It doesn't work. Jesus seemingly changing the subject, verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answers and says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Why does Jesus ask her to go call her husband? Right? You can think about it from the context of what's happening. Here is him as a, a, a man at the well. She's a woman at the well. Would it be more appropriate if he was going to deal with her husband? I think so. The reality is then the, the woman says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus hits her with a word of knowledge, right? A word of knowledge is a download from heaven about a person's life that Jesus should have no good reason to know this information about this woman. To our knowledge, he's never been to this town before. 
To our knowledge, he knows nothing about this woman, about her history or her past. But he gets a word of knowledge from the Lord and says, you've actually had five husbands and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. And it stops the woman in her tracks. She's like to herself, how does he know this about me? I think Jesus searches our hearts to bring about restoration and redemption. He shines his light on you and me so that he can restore you and redeem you. Too often we hear messages about how he wants to convict us or condemn us, right? Which we know is not in the word, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I've heard some messages that feel very strong condemning, right? And yet the reality is is Jesus shines light in your heart He's bringing this up for this woman to expose something that's there. Not her sordid past, but the reality is that woundedness that's inside of her because of what she's been through. It's as if he's saying, I know you. I know more about your story than you realize. The woman then says in verse 19, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I love that. She goes on and says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman says, I see that you are a prophet. Because Jesus had information that he shouldn't have about her life. She seemingly changes the topic to talk about worship. And one thing that I appreciate about Jesus is he doesn't say, no, wait a minute, I want to talk about your, your relationships, right? He says, I can talk about worship. He goes where she goes. Do you pick that up? She says, we worship on this mountain. And you say we're supposed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds and says, you worship what you don't fully know. We, the Jews, worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. He's just making a clarifying statement about the truth of who, where is the Savior going to come from? It's going to come through the Jewish lineage. Like we studied that way back in December. Um, I love this next verse. But the hour is coming and is now here. If you just jump over that verse, you miss a whole lot. Because Jesus is announcing to this woman that something's changing. There is a major change in the way 
we're going to relate with God from this point on. It's really, really significant. He says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking authentic worshipers, not in name only, not because of your tradition, not because of your history, right? Um, It's not about location. It's not about tradition. It's all about your heart. What's really going on inside of you? And the woman says, I know one day the Messiah is going to come and explain all this to us. Right? That's, that's true. And then Jesus, um, he says, I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals his identity as the Messiah, as the Christ, to this woman. This woman who's a Samaritan. This woman who has a sordid past. This broken woman. This woman who is in desperate need of healing. This woman who is an outcast in her society. It's the first person that Jesus reveals himself as the Christ, as the Messiah. If that doesn't stop you, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to me. Why didn't he go to the Pharisees? Why didn't he go to the Jewish people? Why does he pick this woman? It's worth looking at. It says that Jesus had to go to Samaria, the beginning of the passage. Why? Everybody knows if you've been around the, if you've heard messages on this passage before, you know you didn't have to go to Samaria because Jews didn't go to Samaria. They went out of their way to go around so they wouldn't have to walk through that despicable place. But it says Jesus had to go there. I believe Jesus had to go there because there was a woman who needed to know that there was a Savior and that there's a new way of doing worship. It was worth it just for her. This woman needed a Savior and a Redeemer. And Jesus said, I'll go. I say yes. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So the disciples get back. They went into town to get food, right? They were all tired. They were all thirsty. They were hungry. They have all this food, and they don't question that Jesus is talking with a woman, but they note that, hmm, that seems suspicious because he's probably not supposed to be talking to that woman. And the woman heads back into town. This is the woman who had come in the middle of the day when nobody else is getting water, and she heads back into town and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Was her whole life summed up in her marriages? 
I don't know, right? It's an interesting phrase. Um, Could this be the Christ? Do you see that she's not sure yet, even within herself? Jesus sort of floored her, and yet the reality is she's still wondering, could this be? Could it actually possibly be? And the people hear her word, and it's enough to make them curious to go check it out. We don't really know what her life was like in the town. We can guess, but we really don't know how well was she received in the town. We can assume that probably not so well because of what she was doing in terms of when she's gathering her water. But the reality is, it seems like something shifted for her to head back into town where she's putting herself in position to talking with other people within the village. Verse 31, it's sort of a, a, a transition passage of the sec- or section of the passage. Right? It's verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. And others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So again, Jesus is talking on a spiritual plane, and the disciples are coming at him through a natural plane. They say, Jesus, you should eat some of the food that we went and got. They're looking about his physical needs. And he says, I have food that you don't know about. He's not talking about food that he ate. He's talking about a spiritual food, about what's happening for him in this moment, this encounter that he just had with this woman. My food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what did Jesus just eat? What was the work that the father sent him on this mission? To encounter a woman who's in desperate need of a savior and a redeemer. To show her um, honor. To give her the time of day to recognize that she's a human being and that she's a valuable, significant. He says, this is what I live for. Right? I love Jesus' food. I really do. Because if you've ever been in a situation where in your relationship with God, where he, he calls you into something, you know it's, it's the most life-giving place you could ever be. There is no food on earth like it to be in that place where you know that you know that you know you're right where you're supposed to be, interacting with the person that you're supposed to be interacting and releasing the kingdom of God into their life. It's beautiful. So Jesus is giving us a little window into, into him and how the kingdom works He says to his disciples, open your spiritual eyes and see the harvest, right? We just heard that all these townspeople are coming towards him. He's saying, look, 
Look at what's coming your way, right? Um, you get to reap what you didn't labor for, right? Verse 39, it goes on. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Is that crazy? Would you believe that he's the savior of the world because of her little phrase? He told me all that I ever did. But some people did. Verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Was he supposed to stay there? No. Not as a good Jewish boy. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So many believe because of the woman's testimony. Right? Then they ask Jesus to stay, and he does. He goes against all of the tradition, all of the religious sort of regulations, right? Even though he's not supposed to, he stays. And then it says many believe because of his word. They encountered Jesus, not just the testimony about Jesus from another person. They encountered the real Jesus, right? This is the savior of the world. So this grouping of people, it doesn't say everybody in the whole village came to know Jesus as, as the savior and Messiah, right? But with this grouping of people that did was not who anybody would expect that Jesus was going to go reach out to. He had to pass through Samaria. Why? For every single person that said, yes, I believe you are the Christ. Every single one. We don't know how many. But every single one of those individuals was significant. Now imagine if you were one of the disciples on this journey with Jesus. Right? So this is, is think about what, what did you learn on this trip about tradition what did you learn about cultural expectations or religious regulations or the heart of the Father? If I stop and think about that, what I would say as one of his disciples is his ways are not my ways. This isn't what they told me when I was growing up. What we just did is next level off the charts, not what we were told we were supposed to do. And yet, look at the fruit. There's a woman who's been transformed because of one encounter with Jesus. Her whole life will never be the same again. And there's a grouping of people that now know that the Messiah has come. And you know what else? That he came for them. The most unlikely ones. He came for them. And it was important for him to show his disciples, this is where we're going. Because the Father's heart is often for people that you never would think that the Father's heart is for. And that hasn't changed. I think of new wine, right? You can't put new wine into old wineskins. 
because they'll break. What Jesus is modeling for his disciples on this mission trip through Samaria is new wine. If they try to put it in their old constructs, their old mindsets of what they've been taught as they were raised up as good Jewish boys, right? It doesn't fit. It'll explode. And they will turn away because they can't go there. But if they put it in a new wineskin, it's like, ah, his ways are not my ways. That gives me a lot of room to be able to look at Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to be learning something new about the Father's heart. What was taught me about the Father's heart over here, not all of it is accurate because Jesus is revealing something new about the Father's heart. And I need to put that in a new wineskin. Um, what we're going to do before we go on to the message is, I felt like the Lord said that sometimes, some people, you learn better by seeing something instead of just hearing about it or reading it. And so um, I'm going to show a clip of this encounter with the woman at the well. And this, again, this is from The Chosen. It's one person's interpretation, whether you like The Chosen or not, right? Whether you've watched it or not, it, this isn't about it. This is just to give you a picture of what this interaction between Jesus and this woman might have been like. Check it out. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask her to drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides... What do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. 
First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. Ha <laughs> ha I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with but you felt unworthy why are you doing this I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah you are the first it would be good if you believed me you picked the wrong person I came to Samaria just to meet you <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. 
I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> Wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Foxy, a man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> uh, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Alright. So who is the Jesus revealed in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42? Jesus is the one who intentionally pursues us. He had to go to Samaria to meet this woman. He intentionally pursued you wherever you encountered him. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you go back and you look at your story, you can pull the pieces together to say, he pursued me. Jesus is the giver of living water, right? It's a life source that's inside of you, spirit to spirit. It wells up within you to eternal life. Jesus is the one who searches our hearts to bring about restoration and redemption. Again, he intentionally shines his light to say, this is what's really going on inside of your heart. Not to condemn you, but to save you to redeem you. Jesus is the redeemer. You look at the story of this woman. When Jesus encounters her, she's broken. She's worn down. She's worn out. After encountering Jesus, she's refreshed. She's hopeful. She's bold. And she's courageous. Talk about a transformation in just a moment encounter. Jesus is the revealer of mysteries, and Jesus is the Christ. Jesus' food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish the Father's work. And then Jesus launches us into our destiny. Think about the woman. What was the call on her life? Was there anything that God had for her life that was greater than what she could ever think or imagine? She became the, some say, the first evangelist, right? She heard the truth of the word, and she takes it, and she goes and shares it with her, the townspeople. And many come to believe because of her testimony. It's really significant I believe that every single person has a call on their life. There's a destiny that he has just for you. Nobody else can accomplish it. Nobody else can fulfill it. And when you encounter him, the living God, he starts revealing what he's already deposited inside of you and starts showing you what you were created for and what you're meant to walk in. 
Again, the, the questions we've been asking after every sermon is, who do you say Jesus is? Do you just know about these truths that we've looked at today? Because you've heard them before? Or do you know Jesus as these truths? Is this the Jesus that you know? Are there aspects regarding these truths about Jesus that you want to press in and know more? Is there something that was shared today that Holy Spirit's highlighting and says, I I want to look at that more. I want to explore that more. And can you share the Jesus that's revealed in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, with integrity to those in your spheres of influence? Again, nobody can answer that but you. Do you know this Jesus who encountered this woman? And if not, why not? Is there something that's limiting you from knowing him in that way? Um, And are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to shine his light? To expose anything that would be in you, anything from your past or anything that you're currently working through that would limit you or hinder you from going in deeper to encountering this Jesus, the truth of Jesus revealed in John 4. We're going to pray. Jesus, I love um, this passage. I love the, the way that you um, pursue people. I'm grateful for the way that you pursued me. And for the ways that um, I encountered your goodness and your kindness I see that when I read this passage, that this woman, um, she, she encountered your goodness and your kindness. She encountered the love of the Father. And you are the God who, um, who makes a way where there's seemingly no way. And you're the God who reveals yourself to those that others would have given up on. And you actually, um, the power between um, that happens in the encounter or the transaction with you launches people into becoming who they never would ever imagine that they could be. And so I pray for the people of grace and anybody who's, um, who's visiting or listening on the podcast that as you encounter this, this word, this truth, of what's, um, what is captured in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, about this picture of who Jesus really is. I pray that it would, um, that it would uh, um, the power that's packed in it would overwhelm you. And that you would encounter Jesus afresh. You would encounter the love of the Father. You would encounter the one who searches your heart in order to redeem and restore everything that's ever happened in your life. You would encounter the God who launches you into the fullness of why you were created in the first place. Hmm. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be the same, just like this woman. We wouldn't interact in our spheres of influence the same way because we encountered you at a deeper level. The goodness of God, 
the kindness of God, the power of God. Yeah. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to, to have your diet. <laughs> so many people talk about diets. I want your diet. I want my food to be your food. That that would be what drives me every day of my life. And I pray that as a house that we would adopt your diet. We just want to do the will of the Father. And we just want to make him known wherever we go. We want to transform the world around us. And we, like Jesus, can stand content even in the, in the midst of physical hunger. It doesn't matter because we know spiritually we're fully alive and full. Because we said yes and we walked in the fullness of what you called us to do. And so would you take us to new heights and new depths in that arena as well? And we celebrate what you're doing this year in our lives. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.